You are listening to the one of us.net podcast network. Any road. Um, so Shane, are you under the weather? Yeah, I can't kick this thing, man. I even went to the doctor. He gave me all kinds of medicine and none of it works. So if you guys hear me, you have to put the, um, which doctor, which like a witch doctor. <laughs> I don't like, is that what you're saying? And like a novelty song. My friend oh, yeah, it's one. It's, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. Mm-hmm. You I know was, me and how much I love those songs, novelty songs from the late fifties. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's that ting ting, walla walla bing bing, woo ee. Yeah, yeah, I love that uh, shit. Uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, Good stuff. Splish splash. Yeah. I was taking a bath. You know, We're not oh, gonna yeah. be able to top this. Yeah, get your ringtones now for the holidays, folks. Um, yeah. So speaking of which. Um, Ryan, I'll try to screw this up before we uh, went on the air, but I called him a couple of days ago and told him, hey, guess what? We got a letter from Japan, and we did. <laughs> I mean, not as I told him on the phone the other not, day. Not an actual not, physical letter. And not a, not a physical letter, and not from all of Japan, just from a listener in Japan. The prime so, Minister. Yeah, yes. Who, um, uh, who just uh, chimed in to say that he loves the show, and uh, so uh, Genki... In Japan, thank you for listening. Hey. Yeah, and um, and, he, and so I wrote him back and said essentially that thank you for listening. Whereupon he wrote me back and said, yeah, gave me an idea or gave us a suggestion for a record that he would love to hear us do sometime. We'll talk about that off the air. Um, and then he uh, also said that it was really funny that the Shins or not the Shins that the uh, Smiths come up all the time and said that we should get a bell. And, and, I think that's a solid suggestion. I think it is a solid get, suggestion. Get a bell every time. Like a, every time, yeah, like every the, time the Smiths or Morrissey gets mentioned. Yeah, oh, well, um, well, then we're definitely going to need to go grab a bell real quick. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but anyway, if yeah, just um, if you're listening and you want a, a word with the hosts, uh, drop us a line at message somebody at gmail.com. Anyway, that's a sort of a sort of a public service announcement and really more of a thank you to a listener in Japan. I don't know how it's a public service announcement, but I but I do appreciate that sentiment. And on that note, um, should we go into the show? Let's do it. Yes. All right. I'm Shane. I'm Ryan. I'm Kevin. And I'm Mark. Somebody likes it. I got a um, I got a text message last night around eight o'clock from Stephanie Comstock, mm-hmm. saying Morrissey's going to be on the Late Show tonight. Smiley face, exclamation point. And I thought to myself, I'm not even going to bother trying to tune into that because, ha ha, to myself, ha ha, he probably a, oh, won't show up. By the way, huh, there you go. Um, we knocked that we one off real quick. Um, tiny gong. Yeah, on know. my uh, TiVo, um, it said you know Morrissey performs. Yeah. Was his name in quotes? Like, uh, you know, sure. <laughs> Morrissey, no, 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 it would have been uh, forms and yeah. quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I sent the guys, like, a, we have a, you know, like a group text, and I, I sent the guys, like, Morrissey on Colbert tonight, and uh, Kevin wrote back, like, uh, like is he going to cancel? Words to that effect. Yeah. And then he did. Yeah. Um, like, no, they had um, Michelle Wolf on. She's funny. Uh, oh, in, she's in super funny. Um, so it's not like the you know the show went down in flames, but uh, I was not very surprised. Yeah. yeah, as somebody that has been a near lifelong um, Morrissey fan, I'm 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 getting real over this guy this year um, for 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 the last couple of years, like for various reasons. But he just gets weirder, more cantankerous. His ego has gotten the better of him. So I don't know if you guys heard about this, but a couple of weeks ago, he basic there, he did an interview uh, with a German newspaper. I don't know if it was Der Spiegel, but um, Gesundheit. He 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 did he, he. What's that? Nothing. Oh, thank just, you. Yeah. Well, he basically he defended uh, Kevin Spacey's sexual assault um, of a fourteen-year-old boy as just a botched come on, which doesn't really make any sense. Um, and then he doubled down last week uh, in the Sunday Times in his position on sexual harassment. He warns that um, that it, it often can be just a pathetic attempt at courtship. What? Courtship? Yes, exactly. 
What the fuck is – and then so anyway, so he didn't like – these are his direct quotes. He didn't like that, so he went on stage, amazingly enough that he went on stage, and he told the audience – Did someone give him directions? How did he get that? Who fucking knows, man? Right. Somebody like drugged him like B.A. on the A-team and like – Strapped him to a, a dolly and he like – just rolled him on. Yeah. He woke up. Yeah. And he, he basically said, if you don't hear the words, he's never going to give another print interview. And if you don't hear the words coming from his mouth directly, don't believe him. Well, I don't think that's necessarily how it works, but I don't know. Something's going on with this dude, basically. In somewhat lighter news, I waited on two of the most Canadian people I've ever met in my life. Oh. Um, yeah, they were super nice. Surprise, surprise. Um, but I asked them, like, about the tragedy of the hip. I, well, funny you should say that. <laughs> uh, I asked them uh, if, as Canadians, they were fans of Tragically Hip. And one of them was like, yeah. And I went to college with the singer. And I was like, yeah, he just died a couple months ago. Yeah, He goes, yeah, I was at his last show. And Justin Trudeau walked right past me and went up to the stage and cried. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> what a but he went, to, he went to college with him. Yeah. Um, so he knew him back I mean, in the day. Somebody did. Uh, one of the two uh, gourds. One of the two gourds. Yes. yes. Apparently, uh, Gordon is a really common name in Canada, and it's, I, I, com- and it's commonly that. shortened to Gord. <laughs> and Gord either. or Gordy. Uh, yeah. Oh, also, Gord the singer was a um, was a hockey goalie, and so was this guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did he throw some back bacon at you? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it was just the most Canadian. It, it, and they, they sounded for all the world like the Kids in the Hall cast. Oh, yeah. It was great. That sounds pretty great. Yeah. Well, thanks for telling us what that's about. <laughs> I'm sorry. You had to get that in. Yeah. Sorry for that, yes. Exactly. God, you guys are awful. Well, let's can we put the beginning of this show down and uh <laughs> move <laughs> move forward? Like yeah. euthanasia? What, what do you yeah, kind of what do you got for us, Shane? It's not me, it's Ryan this week. Oh, also, Ryan, what do you got for us? Uh the descendants uh first record, Milo Ghost College. Oh, um, yeah. So named because they thought it might be their last record because Milo, in fact, did go to college. I, 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 he did go to college. I want to say one thing about this album before we start the conversation Shane's about go, it. Shane's going to hate it, I predict. I do hate it, yeah. But that, but we'll, we'll have that conversation. Um, but somehow, some fucking way, Ryan actually outdid Jolene. I saw that too. <laughs> Is it shorter? It's twenty-two well, minutes. <laughs> but to be fair, there's plenty we, of songs on it. We did have that disclaimer that that punk albums didn't count. Well, they're all short, but this one is—it's twenty-two minutes and like fourteen songs. So it's, yeah, yeah, they're uh, you know economical. When they when they fourteen get... songs that sound like exactly the same song somehow like it might as well just be one song. Milo Ackerman, the lead singer, said. When I decided to go to college, the guys in the band were pretty hip on it because they knew how big of a nerd I was. Like, what else would you expect him to do but go off and be a nerd? That's in quotes, question mark. I mean, I've got a Ph.D. in biochemistry. How uncool is that? That's that's his quote on how this record came He doesn't sound like a microbiologist on the record. No. <laughs> that's true. He does not. That's not. An angry one, maybe. Well, an There's angry adolescent aspiring microbiologist. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, it's uh. Well, okay. I'll, I'll characterize my thoughts on it this way. Like, I didn't hate it. If it was twenty years ago and I was single and I met this album at a party, I might hook up with it, but I wouldn't call it back. <laughs> yeah, that uh, Cal- that California hardcore thing, man. It's it's real one note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I do love um the bass playing all over it. Um. I think the drumming, that, that kind of rat-a-tat-tat thing that's going on, like, I dig that. Um, and the songs, while I'm, like lyrically, while kind of an acquired taste, I think he's inhabiting characters. Yeah, no, there's actually, that's the saving grace in some ways, whenever I can understand what he's saying, which which is not a knock. I don't. I listen to tons of music where I can't understand what people are saying. Um, there's, some, there's some pretty amusing lyrics interspersed in there. And I will say this, that album has got to be one of the most influential records of the last fucking 35, 40 years because... Well, well a few bands that I don't really care for uh, really sure. love it. Blink-182. Um, Green Day. The Offspring. You really hear The Offspring in a lot of that. Like, True. Not the lyrics. I'm not the vocals necessarily, but like 
a lot of that music. Like, I can, just any, any, like, it, it sounds really California 1982. Um, it does, but I will, I will say that, like, one of the things that I took away from this album that probably, or maybe isn't as obvious to everybody, but there's that whole um, point, counterpoint between the punk ethos and in this case, like if you forget for a second what the band that the band sounds like they're you know, that they're part of the punk movement, the fact that some of the tracks on this are distinctly like they're kind of punking punk, for lack of a better term. Like it rem- I'll tell you what it reminded no, me of. I, lot, in, I think a lot in, of it's lampooning like traditional punk tropes sure. and punk characters. But it, go ahead. it reminded me of Jonathan Richmond and um, and the idea that you could Take you know you know you could talk about like uh, wanting to have a girlfriend and uh, liking your parents like there were just things yeah. that like and still sound a little bit like well Velvet there's literally a song like, about wanting a suburban home suburb, yeah yeah um, uh, but that's not the one I want to play first you guys want to get into a track sure let's do it yeah uh, one of the ones where I, I think he's sort of lampooning a traditional punk type you know uh, stereotype character is I'm not a loser. Um, which really yeah, shocked I, me at they, first. These, I, I actually, I thought that the, these are the lyrics. This is when I started coming around a little bit. I, I thought that I thought they were pretty funny. Yeah. So let's get into that. First time I heard that song, I was really kind of shocked and dismayed because um, it has some really homophobic uh, ideas in it. And then it occurred to me the second time I went through it, I'm like, he is actually making fun of these types of people who would yes. say those things. I thought that was pretty obvious the first time I heard it. <clears throat> I'm a little slower than you. That's true. That is true. I'm glad that you finally admitted that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not a loser. I should have known just from the title, I'm not a loser. Uh, he's probably not. Taking you know taking that at face value, you know when I listened to that song and I, you know I, I look I didn't I didn't hate this album, but it it takes me back like I never had an affinity for California hardcore and when I was I think I probably got like turned on to punk when I was maybe in eighth grade and I pretty and I didn't like like you know there were all the like the Black Flag and the Exploited and Agent Orange and all these like California hardcore bands that all my skater friends were listening to so I wrote off punk. And it took until I was in my twenties until I discovered like New York punk, and I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, New York this is punk totally and, fucking and different." British punk from and the British 70s. punk, yeah. They, they, I mean, they, I could. Um, they, there's so many great British punk bands and, and New York punk bands from the late seventies, um, early eighties that are it's so different and so much more entertaining. And there's actual like songs, yeah, like this um. just. To, to me, they, it all just blends together. It's they, basically the same people, the same thing, the same. You know, it's meant to be like, you know, an, an outpouring of energy and cathartic and and, and seeing live and jump around and slam into people. I'm sure people this band and, inspired a million mosh pits. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I'm mostly with you on that. I think this one, this is a slightly better uh, version of California hardcore. But I, I'll agree with – I'll definitely agree with you on that for sure. But it's still – I remember being in fifth grade, and uh, my best friend Jason like had an older friend, Greg, and Greg played oh, us Greg. some played us some uh, Black Flag, and I remember going like, I don't, I don't understand how this is music, um, and I'm not sure which iteration of Black Flag it was, if it was Henry Rollins, or whatever, but it would have been around this time. Um, but anyway, do, uh, Shane, did you happen to notice who produced this record? I did not. Uh, our friend Spot from Hole in the Wall. No shit. Yeah, not, not that surprising, that. Um, but yeah, sure enough, uh, the gentleman and I don't. If 
Spot those, of, those of you out there we, who haven't we, heard we, our Husker Du uh, show, he was like the doorman at like a local club in Austin. He was a doorman. I think he worked the kitchen too a little bit. Yeah, I think he was a little bit of a jack of all trades, and then he occasionally do like acoustic sets. Um, yeah, dude, I had no, that dude was one of the coolest guys. Like, he's such a sweetheart, super mellow, just gentle just a, guy, super nice guy. I, I had mm. no idea until years later that he had been involved, like, in music. And yeah, the guitar player from a band that I was managing at the time was like, you know, that dude's a really big deal. And I brought this up on the Husker Du thing, but if you haven't, if you haven't heard that. Um, I was like, no, what is he? He's like, yeah, he produced a bunch of like hardcore stuff from the 80s in California. It's like, no shit. And then I forgot about it until we got around to doing this show, and, and sure enough, he's popped up again. Um, but I think he's a photographer now. Isn't he out of Austin? Like, doesn't he live? In- he doesn't live in Austin anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I emailed him to confirm that was indeed him. I was like, is this the same spot? You know, he has an official webpage, and so I just found this email address and this is the same spot that worked at Hole in the Wall? He's like, yeah, that's me. Don't bring it up. And uh, Don't bring I, it now up. I've violated his, his request <laughs> twice. What, that he used to work at Hole in the Wall? <laughs> well, that it's the same guy. And, you know, like I think he's just moved on and he doesn't really care. Uh, he doesn't have that. to live 40 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, he was a super great guy. So I, I mentioned a little bit earlier about um, we we're talking about the fact that Oh, like well, I mentioned it in the context of modern lovers, the idea that there was this sort of point counterpoint. But I, but it also occurs to me that there's a little bit of the um, beach slang thing going on here, in that uh, one of the guys in this band is 20 years older than the other guys. And I saw that, yeah. yeah. And so he I is that. Mm-hmm. And so he Bass is player. Yeah, he's and so, great. He's great, and he wrote he wrote a bunch of the stuff. Like he's the one who wrote the. Suburban track and um, like some of the well, other. He probably stuff. literally did want a suburban home at that point. No, no, he, he did. did. He he, he yeah. said it. He said it in the in in one of the, the pages that. Uh, but yeah, like he was in what they were. They were all like in their teens, and he was in his mid thirties. Yeah. <laughs> I told you about uh, that. That's that's like the weird, creepy dude that can buy you beer. Except I, tell you about, I guess they weren't into beer. I tell you about that that punk band that I booked at Frontier Bar that. Um, the singer, like he had literally played with the Stooges, like he was from Detroit, and uh, he, did, he wasn't in the Stooges, but he played a show with them, uh, and he was 60, and everybody else in the band was like 25, <laughs> and they thought he was really funny, but he still took it really seriously, and they were a, a solid punk band, they didn't have much of a draw, but... Well, and that's um, what he said, too, is that like he just liked playing the songs, like so the the craft part of that, like... You know, I heard there was a there's this is a little not totally off topic, but there was a, a close Chuck Klosterman interviewed Jeff Tweedy years ago, and he talked about the uh, Uncle Tupelo stuff, and 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 maybe we talked about this when we did the Uncle Tupelo record, but Tweedy gave a really unconventional answer as to why he didn't necessarily think that he could get back and play those tracks again. Oh, he said he that, didn't think he could play the songs anymore. He said that he said that he couldn't play that fast. Yeah, and so I, when I, you know, when you hear that that the bass player here is like really enjoying like just rolling up his sleeves and getting after it, yeah, he but he right doesn't on top of it. He doesn't have true punk sentiment, you know. He got a mortgage and probably cuts his yard, so you know it's just different. Well, that, he left the uh, t- the the bass player. What is it, Tony Lombardo? He he left the band after the first two records, and um, went on to work for the United States Postal Service till two thousand and five. That is awesome. <laughs> In many ways, it is. What, you know, like, uh, wouldn't you be kind of stoked if you found out that your, your, your fucking mailman, mailman, mailman was a bass player like, from the, the Descendants? Bass player, the descendants? Yeah. I, it, yeah. I would, actually. Question everything. Do we want to do another one? Uh, yeah, we've referenced it a, a few times, so we should probably get into Suburban Home, which he greatly wanted. <laughs> he went to work for the Postal <laughs> Service. I'm sure he got that Suburban <laughs> Home. Yeah. Let's break into that one. I want to be stereotyped. I want to be classified.
So a couple of things worth noting. One, we talked a little bit the, about the fact that bassist Tony Lombardo is 20 years older than everybody else in the band. But he said about Suburban Home that uh, he was like, I definitely wanted a home. I couldn't live in a place where all the people were cool. I don't like dysfunctionality. I have an abhorrence of dysfunctionality because my mother was an alcoholic. My parents are divorced. I just don't need that assault on my emotions and psyche. So that was his take. So on this, this is like no irony. No, it's like, like <laughs> frankly, like dead, <laughs> dead straight, literal. Um, but it also struck me as interesting because when I was uh, when I was researching this record, one of the things I came across was that a few years ago, Milo turned fifty, and when he turned fifty, Filter Magazine put out a put out like a bunch of bands lined up to do covers of. Um, yeah, so who, who was the one that did this one? This was um, uh, it's another LA band called Fiddler, who's done some done some cool stuff. I actually like those guys a lot. But um, anyway, yeah, it's uh, and they stapled on the front man from uh, from another band that I actually don't know. But anyway, um, yeah. So the, the like going back to what you were talking about about how like however we feel about this record, and I probably fall about where. Maybe somewhere we're in between where you and Shane are on it. Yeah. Um, you're, you're there's no gonna, doubt that it's that it's influential. Like that that clearly definitely. seems to be. That. I mean, it's, so it's probably not going to end up like a, a staple of your um, playlist no. and whatnot. But like it's a amusing listen. Yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily change the channel if it came on the radio. If I'm in a mosh pit, I mean, I'll stay in the mosh pit. I am. I'm not moshing anymore. No, no. Uh, my body does not like it when I mosh. No, exactly. These days. I, don't, I don't think I've moshed since high school. I don't think I have yeah. either. But I've fallen down. <laughs> I don't and think yeah, I, it, it takes longer to. I don't think I've get over that. Oh knocked, my I've hip. knocked my knee into the table. That man. That I don't think I've moshed since high school. Is my new favorite uh, line of the show. Make, so we could have like yeah. we could make old old guy T-shirts. <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. I've moshed since high school. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, Kevin, you, uh, you, this is kind of a non-secular, but um, the AV Club just came out with its annual list of, like, you know, weird-slash-awesome band names that you've yeah. never heard of. And one of the bands, I saw that headline, but one, I didn't read the article. One of the bands on the list um, has a record called um, Punk is Dad. So uh, I don't yeah. know if the shirt that you got was, like, swag for them, but they're a New York band. Uh, I, I you know, I'm right down now. with it either way. I just wore that around the house the other day to freak my kids out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, uh, I I read most of the list, and it's long. Uh, but the one that I really wanted to bring up is Rainbow Kitten Surprise. <laughs> it's so. my favorite Ben & Jerry's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like food just gone wrong. It does. It sounds like a, like a bad Ben & Jerry's flavor. It does. Oh, Vermont. What were you thinking? Um all right. Well, are we uh, are we halfway home? Do we? Are we yeah, ready to we're, get in the we're we're a little bit we're a little bit lacking we're, today. But it, it, considering we're, we're that running we're running a little bit punk on this, con- yeah, we're going a little yeah, bit. This punk gonna be on the punk rock, rock podcast. It's a tight show. We're gonna try and get it in in fourteen minutes. All right, yeah. sounds great. Let's go ahead and go to the intermission. All right. I, uh, okay, so two two different reasons why I want to listen to this song today. One, it's been a little while since we've heard from this band. And um, number two, I was um, idling the other day behind a stoplight, and um, there was, you know, like doing the, the radio perusal thing, Ryan. I know you'll know what I'm talking about. Sure, thing. where you're just checking your presets. Yeah, and um, and the beginning of this song came on, and I was like, Fuck, I never listened to this song. It's so dated. It sounds exactly like the year that you know it came out in because it's the it's the um the year that this song came out in is the album title. And um Spill it, dude. And so and oh. I, I thought it's I, I don't know and then I listened to the whole thing, I was like Is it, it Van Halen? It is. And oh, I knew it. So it's been a little while since we've seen Diamond Dave Swagger, but and the reason well, there were just so many things about the song I dislike, but but not in a bad way, in a in an amused way, like that that Eddie Van Halen hyper fast solo. We'll talk about all this stuff in a minute. But 
David Lee Roth the whole time. He's it's so like this is the last record of the Roth era. It was, and um, arguably their, I don't know if it's their biggest hit, but it was up there with it. And um, boy, he smiles like he's cracking wise the whole time. Like you can he, you can hear him like hey like you know hamming it up in the studio while he's singing the I just, song. I just love it that he's like the least. Jewish stereotype Jewish person like on the planet. Well, I have you seen his come over? Because the come well, over that he has, like, yeah, it's <laughs> don't say that before you see that. So anyway, so yeah, Van Halen's jump. Let's 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 listen to that. David Lee Roth, he's like he's like a cross between a borscht belt comedian and like an Olympic gymnast and like a dude like like who has typical hair metal kind of stuff. Stereo, but also, but like the love that the man has for himself is so self evident. Oh, you can you can see it all over that video that like he was probably insufferable. Uh, well, yeah, like time. every time, like it would, like the camera would cut away to Eddie Van Halen to be playing like a little solo or something. David Lee Roth would just stick like his stick head his in. Head in. Yeah. He'd stick his head in and cover Eddie's head with his head, and then like half of the video was him like doing acrobatic kicks. Yeah, and yeah, flips. you know what? Yeah, what's the song called? Well, I, J- jump, jump. And what yeah. did he do a lot of? Jumping. Yeah, he was also kicking a lot, and they didn't call it kick. Well, okay. Uh, but I think it's all tied into the somewhat acrobatic thing. But that that song was like a – I remember for years it was like a staple of a like – giant hit. Of sports stadiums. But then – but as it slowly became so dated, that keyboard sound, like you mm-hmm. don't really hear that song in sporting events Not anymore. Not so much anymore, no. That was their only – that was their only single to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100, which doesn't really surprise me if you think about the rest oh, of the catalog. Oh, it's completely ubiquitous. Yeah. Hey, two things I want to say about Eddie Van Halen real quick. Number one, his given name is Wolfgang, and number two – Well, no, that's his son's name. It's no, Edward Van Halen. No. it. Oh, that is his son's name, but I think, I think that that was either his dad's – okay, I could be totally wrong about that. But he was trained as a classical pianist, and like he – Got pushed into the guitar for, you know, when he was in high school, like wanting to be cool around the girls. But he always wanted to just go back to play keyboards. I just thought it was uh, amusing that when he uh, married Valerie Bertinelli, like they look exactly like each other. And they do. They're when, like one of those, like a like a guy who gets a dog and has it for twenty years, and they slowly start to take on the same appearance. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. they looked like each other already, and yeah. then they found each other. Yeah. And so Rolling Stone at the time, I was, I was a subscriber, uh, said like uh, when Wolfgang was born, like uh, no news net, uh, no, no news yet on which one it looks like. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow. doesn't he play bass for them now? Like he, he does. He, they he, kicked Michael Anthony out of the band, so well, uh, I think my kid could join. I, it was it which one? What gives? Kind of a complicated thing because Michael Anthony and David Lee Roth are best friend. I'm not David Lee Roth. Um, Sammy Hagar. Our best friends, and I don't know if Sammy left and Michael Anthony left with, because I read this. I read an interview recently. Um, it was very interesting. It was about this photo shoot that they were doing for um, the album before this, and uh, and um, they got this like really famous photographer to show up, and they shot these like David Lee Roth thought that the all the photo shoot was just going to be about him, but they had the whole band come out there, and the guy that shot the pictures was saying like, you know. David Lee Roth was like megalomaniacal. Eddie Van Halen, I'm paraphrasing. Eddie Van Halen was just very kept to himself. Like he basically was saying he was almost autistic. Like he was really just self, like into himself. Mm -hmm. Alex um, was a coke addict and like the the, you know was a sub talent. 
and my, and Michael Anthony, everybody loved up Michael Anthony. He was just this. So they had to get rid of him. So they had to get rid of him. Like he was just this nice, dumb regular, dude, every dude. regular dude that just showed up. So he ended up like leaving. Hey guys. <laughs> yeah, like a dog, like a little dog, <laughs> like Michael Sarah or something. Like, kind of. Like, hey, yeah. <laughs> I got this bass here. Yeah. So. Uh, and he, hey, I, and I noted like Mark was fetishizing uh, the drum kit. And dude had four kick drums. That seems like too many. It's it's two too many. It's three too many. <laughs> like if you have more, well, I can kick, kind of understand okay, if you want to do like the double bass. If you're in Slayer, like, if you're in Slayer, or you know, then maybe you need two kick drums. But yeah, you don't need. I would two say kick ninety-nine. Drums. You definitely don't need four. <laughs> <laughs> if you have if you have twice as many kick drums as you have legs. You can't put it on there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've yeah. got to have a really good can't swivelly chair all. too, right? Yeah, yeah. You got to have a really good chair to go back and forth like really quickly, like. And oh yeah, and they're like at weird angles. They're not all lined up together. They're they're like facing at right angles. Yeah, I guess you just. Okay, had to... I will be the voice of reason here. You will notice that they were all different sizes. They all had different tones. Fine. Okay. Fine. Uh, okay. Fine. All of them at the same time. Have as many kick drums as you want, America. I guess at, the, at that point you are like Alex Van Halen in Van Halen at the top of their game in 1984. You're a rocks. That's kind of like the definition it, of – It was like the most extravagant drum very kit extravagant. I've about ever seen, maybe rivaling like Neil Peart. Well, or, except like or they or have what, like – Who had who the, ro- like the rotating drum kit that would like go upside down and whatnot? Tommy Lee. Okay. Tommy, Tommy Lee, Lee had the cage that went upside down and stuff like that. But Tommy Lee was a much better drummer than Alex Van Halen in my opinion. And he had regular drums. I don't – I do like the beginning of Hot for Teacher. He did with like one drumstick uh, on like a couple snares. Well, that was also two bass drums. Well, there you go. Yeah, you can um, hear that too. Mark is well, Shane, that was a treat, and, and not the least of which uh, I appreciate the air keyboards that. Oh yeah, uh, that was a, that Lee was Roth. another thing. So at, at one point, um, there's nothing for David Lee Roth to do, so he just. When Eddie is playing a keyboard solo, he, jumps into the he shot. just jumps his hands into the shot and like tries to obscure by playing his own keyboard solo. I would have kicked that motherfucker out of my band too, man. Well, you know what? I love this era of Van Halen. Uh, the first Van Halen record is the first record I ever bought of my own volition. Like I owned a couple things that my parents had given me, but but I willingly went and bought the cassette of Van Halen one. And I, I love this era of Van Halen. Doesn't it have, like, Running With The Devil on it? It does. It's the first song on the record. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I love 1984. And I then, cannot listen to And then to when Sammy Hagar joined the band, they just changed their sound and sucked. It did suck. I mean, this is a much better sound than when Sammy Hagar joined the band. But, I mean, they're ridiculous. But, but he seems like a much cooler dude to hang out with. But you know what? He probably is. But like, that, that was that's the whole reason why people elected George W. Bush as president. It's like, who would you rather have, you a, have beer a beer with? with? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. But who's better at governing? All right. Let's not <laughs> yeah, get into Yeah, we won't it. get into that. All right. All right. Yeah, so there you go. Might as well jump out of this segment. <laughs> Hey, so there was a uh, – we're back to, uh, back to talking about The Descendants. Milo goes to college. There was um, a publication I haven't read before um, that I came across that wrote a little something about this album. And, I, and uh, there's an interesting thought here. And basically the guy says, though it seems that uh, like they uh, perennially garner fewer accolades than their Cali cohorts, Black Flag and the Minutemen – Coffee-fueled Los Angelinos and the Descendants' full-length debut, Milo Goes to College, stands as one of the 80s indispensable punk documents. Its grooves are teeming with furious catchiness, and what it lacks in good manners, it makes up for in sheer gusto. I don't know. What do you guys think? Was there Uh, gusto? Well, it landed at number 16 on Rolling Stone's um, top 40 punk albums of all time. I saw that. Why did they always choose round numbers? Why do they always? Oh, well, because I don't know. But, so you want to be like top forty-four? Yeah. Actually, if oh, I were, yeah. if I were doing 40, it, I'd probably top, make it like forty-one. Or, yeah. I do forty-one or forty-three just because I like prime numbers for some stupid reason. Yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, well, we don't <laughs> need let's to. Un- let's unpack dissect why you my neuroses. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> it's, if I'm changing the volume on my TV, I always stop at like 
a prime number. If you start doing math on the windows in here, I'm walking out. I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, I was going to say there's a whiteboard in here, but I guess there isn't right now. Anyway, yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, I do think that, like, I mean, it seems like kind of where we're all landing is that um, there is a familiar punk ethos, but these guys don't seem to quite take themselves as seriously. I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with that. Um, I'll bet, though, a lot of their audience at the time took them very seriously and at face value. Sounds yeah, like it. But you know who I bet they didn't take them as seriously as is that is as say Ian McKay's um fans and the DC Oh man Fugazi. No no uh, no no not Fugazi like Oh the, minor threat. Minor threat. Like how seriously they took them like going up to people and pulling cigarettes out of their mouths and well, he, he well, yeah, he was like kind of the the founder of like the what's where they put an X Straight so, Edge. Straight Edge. Yes. Um, yes, very, very different. Well, and I appreciate you know Fugazi for that for the fact that they well, I mean, minor threat also, but like, um, um, you know how they'd only charge like five dollars, like flat, like for years and years and years. But they also wouldn't do merch, so like those. This is not a Fugazi T-shirt became a thing that other people sold. Yeah, that was kind of a dumb thing. I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny, but I mean, you, if, if they did merch, they would have made a, lot, a significantly more money. Well, no, I don't. I just think it was smart, yourself. like as a band, but they did found a label that was pretty um, that was pretty successful. So they I figured think it out. Fugazi has some pretty damn good songs too in there. A few, yeah. Uh, so, anyhow, I wanted to talk about this concept of all. Yes. So okay, um, the band basically stayed together during Milo would um, at various points fall back in love with microbiology. And yeah, leave he's the well, no, he, he like, was. It, I think he would fall back in love with being able to pay his rent and bills, and could be. I, well, I mean, the descendants. I think like probably made a decent uh, amount of money, like on touring at the very least. They didn't sell a ton of records, but I, I think at some point, like you probably want to buy cars for yourself and have. Well, yeah, you like a stable income in life and and what have you. But he, no, he would leave the band and then go do. Microbiology, either you know, like studying it and getting his PhD, or actually practicing it, and then he got burned out on microbiology and went back to the band. Oh uh, yeah. So that would happen at various points, and they'd put out Descendants records. I think there's like six or seven, um, several of which have like the Milo illustration uh, on the cover. But in the interim, they would do records as all with different vocalists. And Shane, I want you to speak to what all. Is. Sure. So the only way for me to, to really – I'm going to read you a little bit about what it says on Wikipedia, and we can talk. But the concept of all, in quotation marks with capital A, w- um, had been invented on a fishing trip in 1980. And Milo Ackerman actually said, well, drinking all this coffee, coffee seems to be a, a running It's a recurring theme. motif. Yeah. They're like the family. Gilmore Girls of punk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> While drinking all this coffee in the midst of catching mackerel, they came up with the concept of all, doing the utmost, achieving the utmost. The more they got into it, it turned into their own religion. It's partly humor, but it's also an outlook on how to conduct your life, to not settle for some, to always go for all. And so here um, there's a – so they have um, all logistics, which is a musical set of commandments for achieving all. Including lyrics such as, Thou shalt not commit adulthood, Thou shalt not partake of decaf, and Thou shalt not suppress flatulence. Yeah, there's some, like later on in their career, apparently there was a lot of fart jokes. Yeah, so, and here's another thing. So, one of the guys that came up with all, this is a quote, he said, I'm really into, and this is like several years later, like almost 10 years later. He said, I'm really into all, and I've waited a long time to unleash the whole concept on, on, on people, and now I'm just going to do it. It's a way of thinking in, in, in which there are extremes, and there is a goal called all. It's a way that I created in dealing with achievement and satisfaction and how the two relate, basically just to avoid stagnation, going for all, and never being satisfied and just wallowing in your own sameness. I don't know, man. It, it does. And we mentioned this off mic, but uh, it does strike me as like the church of the subgenius, like formed a band. Yeah, but but less. It seems a little less tongue in cheek. Could be. Like, I mean, maybe he practiced what he preached. Uh, hard to say, but like, yeah. Uh, so 
what ultimately led me to select this particular record was you know I lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana for three years, and all of us who kind of liked you know music that wasn't necessarily like on the radio all the time, and there was a record store there that was literally called Subterranean, like underground. Or whatever, and we all like that. Yeah, place. we know. And it's so we all, yeah, all of us who worked in restaurants would like find each other and talk about music or whatever. And I met like three or four people who were just like massive des- descendants slash all fans. And man, they were cultish about it. Um, and I sort of get the it. band all or the concept all because the band all. I didn't actually know about the concept till this week. Well, there was. I just want to say something. Um, during the recording of the first All album, uh, Pat McQuistian, I don't know how to say his name. He's one of the guys that came up with the concept of All. His fishing boat sank during a storm. and um, yeah, it killed him, right? Yeah, it killed him. And uh, it was remarked that he had 15,000 pounds of fish on board. So I guess you could say he died in heated pursuit of All. That's fair enough. Um, ill-advised um, to have 15,000 pounds of fish on a small fishing vessel but um yeah i don't understand it like if if it were that's a like that, commercial that expression fish, like it's gotta like, be a commercial uh, he died doing what he thing. loved yeah. um well it had to be like nobody needs fifteen thousand pounds of fish for personal use <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> good, how many good, freezers do you good, have in good your garage point, right? <laughs> can't find for that <laughs> like, like no that's what he does like he does it like once Every two years to get his presents for everybody it was, for the next two years. It was medici- medicinal fish. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, kids. Uh, you want to get into one more? Yeah, let's. I've go got on. another one that, that really amuses me, and I, I think it's another one where I don't know. I don't know if uh, Milo wrote the lyrics or if uh, one of the other gentlemen, but Hope, um, which I hope he's played a, a character because. Pretty sure uh, that there's yeah, it's it's really pathetic if he's not. But um, anyway, yeah, let's get into that song. Hope. friend zone um just this dude who like is uh you know lurking around a girl that um he does not realize has no interest in him uh someday i'll be the only one um she's got a dude and he thinks he has a shot uh, yeah lyrics are good i think that song would be a little more effective if it didn't sound like every single goddamn song on the other song on the record yeah, that bleed, part's hard. they completely bleed into each other like i have no way of like differentiating them in my mind i'm like which well, that one was longer right well that's what i was gonna was say two there, minutes there's two, two whole minutes there are two <laughs> magnum opuses toward the end of that album um, the the second to last and the in the in the third to last, which is what we just listened to, they really go for broke and they really branch out and it's sort of like a almost so it prog takes rock. Two minutes and two minutes and fourteen. It's seconds. almost prog rock compared to the rest of the album. Like oh yeah, lots lots of uh, multi part bass, bass noodling, yeah. um, uh, a la yes, and Emerson Lake and Palmer. Um, right, that's what compared compared to two minutes compared to forty seconds. Like, I mean, you know, that's what it's kind of what it felt like they were doing to me. I don't know. I don't know, man. The more I listen to this album tonight, like all these clips, it, they just they just blur. It's just like one blur. It's like you the know. whole record does sound like it's exactly the uh, same, like one long song. Well, so I was listening. To, like, you know, I got through this record multiple times because why wouldn't you? Um, but uh, one of the times I was driving and concentrating on the road, hands at 10 and 2, 
Um, <laughs> Good job. So, yeah, thank so you. if you're listening at home, kids. But, but uh, Spotify just offered up another uh, Descended song, and it was it was like kind of mature sounding compared to this. Uh, it sounded more like Bad Religion, which I do like Bad Religion as far as like uh, West Coast. Um, yeah, yeah I, think, I, I definitely would say that that they're they have some pretty good songs in there that that don't sound exactly like every other song. But and I think this band actually landed on Epitaph, which is run by Bad Religion, um, like lead man Brett Gerwitz. Um, no, I think they. I think they eventually it, it, did. No, I don't. I they were on possibly. SST for a while and a smaller label that I'd never heard of before that. But anyway, Kevin, you have a new song for us tonight. I do have a new song for you. Yeah, so tonight we're uh, on uh, Current Affair. We're going to listen to a new track from the band Destroyer called. Uh, off their record, Ken. Which oh, I think oh is yeah, pretty great. Oh, Why don't yeah. more people name their their records just like people names? Yeah, so no, it's off their off the record, Ken, Gary, uh, and <laughs> yeah, that, that'll, that'll be the next one. one. Uh, Keith. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be this. The name of this track is Tenzeltown Swimming in Blood, which is of course what you would find on Ken. So that is uh, that was Tinseltown swimming in blood, the um, song with the complex name from a band with a simple name, Destroyer, out of uh, they're out of Vancouver. I was trying to remember like why do I know that name of that band? I've never I've never actually heard that project before, uh, but it's from the new pornographers uh, show that Dan Thayer plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You brought that up. Uh, I dig that song. Yeah, yeah. Know? I think it's a great song. And that videos, I thought. Uh, Actually, the way to see that video, if you have an opportunity to see that video on a screen that is larger than normal, I thought that was exactly the way that you should watch that. Well, it's a succession of uh, really good black and white stills that in many cases are sort of folded in over the top of one another or in, in succession. And yeah, it's this kind of study of light and darkness. And anyway, I yeah, I thought I'm not exactly sure you know what it's trying to say, but. What was that dude uh, wearing for glasses? Um, they looked like the things that you steam broccoli in. <laughs> like um, a colander? Small. Not a colander, but a colander. Steamer. <clears throat> well, yeah, yeah, like a, like a vegetable steamer or whatever. That's the appropriate anyway, but like small and on eyeglasses. Well, yeah, but then that lady also had one in the middle of her forehead before, so. As one does, yeah. Um, song, though, I, I, I dig it. It reminded me of like later solo John Lennon. For some reason. Well, and there's a little bit of that, like, sort of disaffected, uh, like, mid-career Bowie in there, too. Like, uh, yeah, I, I get that. Um, but anyway, cool tune. Yeah. I, th- I thought there was – it sort of, to me, sounded like if you put it, – it, I've been a fan of this song for a while, and um, and I'm so happy that even though it was right at the end of the song, it wasn't like a – he's been really in love in his last couple of records with using the sax, like sax solos. Right. And for that, we mostly had trumpet, but then there was like just a little bit of noisy sax in the end, and I feel like it all fits together. It's sort of like a Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. It's like if you took Pet Shop Boys and Yola Tingo, like that's what it sounds like. That song sounds like to me. A I could bit. see that. I think one of the – it sounds like one of the – and I don't know his whole catalog, but it sounds like one of the – there are a couple of different hallmarks. One is that he really tries to start from scratch with each record so they don't – sound anything like one another yeah, i don't know how true, true that is they but. Do, yeah he he has a really different he's he's been really into the horns for the last couple of records um but but yeah but very different sounds well and that was the that was the second thing was this sort of um these sort of soft focus horns that are often off, off in the distance so 
Again, it's like now I kind of feel like I need to take in some more of his catalog. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. It's it's good stuff. You guys keep saying his like like so essentially, Destroyer is Dan Behar and whoever he has around him collaborating with. Right, he's been the one constant. Yeah, Yeah. since I I got I think turned on to him like around like or turned on to Destroyer around like two thousand four maybe no yeah like around two thousand one two thousand two. Anyway, it's a good story, Shane. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I was just telling you, like, essentially, as far as I know, like, there, he's been the one constant. I mean, that, it's like his project. No, yeah, yeah I think and there's like, a, like an Iron and Wine kind of thing where it really it's that dude, and like he has people like collaborate. With That's him. true. Yeah, and I think then that probably accounts for a little bit of the shift when you you know when you work with somebody different each time, you can kind of pick and choose and maybe and, and fold go that in a different in. direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, you guys want to talk about the next one? Who's got next week? I do. Kevin does. Yeah. So, so I was I was kicking around what I what I thought we should tackle for the next go around, and um, there's an artist that I keep hearing something about, but I I don't know this artist at all. Snoop Dogg. Um, no. Is, uh, it, is it Ruffy? No, you guys. Let's let's. We'll just end the show with thirty-five minutes of you guessing who it's Liberace. not. Yes, yes. It's the entire catalog of Liberace. No, we're um, we're gonna do the new uh, King Cruel record. King Cruel. Oh man, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I've been wanting to listen to him. I yeah. have like, and I don't know it. I don't know uh, it at and all. And he's but like, like twenty, something like that. Yeah, but it's supposed to be kind of a breakout work for this guy, and people are talking about it, and and. And I have uh, I have not experienced it yet, so I thought we'd roll that one up. King Cruel, King Cruel, K R U L E. Yeah, I've just I've just never heard those two words spoken together, so it'll be an adventure. Okay. All right. Well, I guess until next week. I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. I'm Shane. I'm Mark. This is somebody likes it. <laughs>